This is a Lip Media Podcast. So today I'm talking to Jessica Lesky. She is a actor-nominated filmmaker from Melbourne, Victoria, and she is the director of the documentary I Used to Be Normal, A Boy Band Fangirl Story. Hello, Jess. Hello. Thank you so much for doing the podcast today. Thank you for having me. So um, I'm obsessed with your documentary. I absolutely loved it. Oh, that's nice to hear. Um, For anyone who hasn't seen the film, it's basically a documentary that follows a few different women and young girls at different ages with uh, their different fandoms or boy bands that they were fans of at that age. So you interview someone who was a Beatles fangirl, take that, uh, Backstreet Boys and One Direction. That's right, yeah? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you haven't seen the film, pause the podcast and go and watch it right now. But um, I wanted to, yeah, chat to you about how you ended up making this film. So why don't we start at the start? Can you tell me a little bit about how you became a fangirl? Yeah, so, well, fan, do you mean... One Direction fangirl or fangirl in general? I want to go earlier than One Direction. If there's if there's a story pre One D, I definitely want to go back to that to that yeah. early stage. Well, so because I I becoming a One Direction fan totally took me by surprise, and I can come back to that because I was thirty one. Um, I'd never liked a boy band before, so oh tasty. I, I'll come back to that, but yeah, I I definitely had the fangirl gene in me it had just been in hiatus for you know a little while the the thing that I'd probably been a huge fan of prior to One Direction um was Dawson's Creek so I had a very big gap between loving things but um that I remember being quite obsessed I just started uni when it came out um to the point where I was like seeing lookalikes everywhere and (laughs) I collected all these lookalikes and remade the opening sequence um as a assignment (laughs) for uni (laughs) with lookalikes and I was would try to slip it into assignments all the time make them relevant to Dawson's Creek when I was a teenager I'd been obsessed with Harry Connick Jr. Mm, Um, (laughs) me too me too oh really that's intergenerational I love Harry Connick Jr. yeah (laughs) <laughs> and that, I mean, it was quite hard to be a fan of him in the traditional way because there were no, like, posters of him in Smash Hits magazine or, you know, you had to work <laughs> a bit harder yeah. um, to be to be a fan of his. But, yeah, so I knew I had the, the gene in me, but I didn't, you know, I, I naively thought I was above boy bands. Um, mm. I didn't think, you know, because um, the, like, height of boy band frenzy a lot of people say the late 90s early 2000s when I was in high school lots of people around me loving Backstreet Boys and NSYNC and all those guys and I was just very dismissive of it but little did I know yeah well I think I I had a very similar experience as that I grew up uh, loving the Beatles in that sort of mm. boy band way, but not realizing it was a boy band because, you know, I was 40 years too late, but I still, <laughs> yep. but I still loved them in that way. So mm. when One Direction hit, it was a perfect storm because he was that, you know, next generation of that feeling. And I was 17. So I yep. had, I had no chance of <laughs> escaping the fever, but what was it like to be a fangirl? You know, Dawson's Creek is a nineties TV show, right? That was like the nineties yep, when yep. that was coming out. Without the internet, how did you like express those oh, yeah. fan feelings? <laughs> it was it was a bit isolating. Mm. Um, you you did it in more 
No, actually, it's the opposite of isolating. Because now, when I think about being a fan now, I think about it being very much online. So I was yeah. thinking, yeah, there was nothing online. But what I had was a group of friends, and it was on Thursday nights, and we'd meet up every Thursday at one of friends' house, oh. and we'd watch it and discuss it. Um, and you'd have to wait a whole week, you know, for the next episode, speculating about what was going to happen. Mm. Um, but it was very early internet. I remember there was a website that was um, like Dawson's desktop. And you could go <laughs> and look on the desktop of his computer and like look in his trash can and <laughs> see like scripts he was working on. Um, and you could, you could send him an email. And I, I remember being confused, the, the like blurry line between fact and fiction because I wrote, you know, I knew he wasn't real, but I wrote him an email telling him that I was also studying film. Like, but like, who was I writing to? Yeah, <laughs> and whoever, oh, whatever no, teenage yeah. girl was running that website probably. Genius. No, it was run by the official. Like, oh, was it? Um, yeah, by the TV show. Um, it was very clever. You could also book a, a room at the Airbnb that um, Joey Potter you know, Katie Holmes's family ran on the show. Wow. So there wasn't quite, you weren't interacting with with other fans, but you were interacting with um, the content. Mm. Um, there might, there were probably message boards and stuff, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite into that. I didn't know how to use them. Yeah. I, I also had a, I was born in a strange generation where I definitely missed message boards. Basically it went straight to like Twitter and Tumblr and mm. those sorts of platforms for interacting with fans, which I think are yeah, less less intimate than message boards um, because it's a little mm. more anonymous in a way, I think. So I don't know yeah. if that's a bit of a different different field. But um, I the only experience I've had as a fan doing the sort of like week-to-week get-together experience was watching Game of Thrones where yeah. they are one of the few shows that, you know, still releasing week-to-week and were so big and I would go to my friend's house and we'd watch Game of Thrones and freak out and then talk about it for seven days and then do it all mm. again, which is <laughs> such a fun experience and I would love to do yeah. that more. <clears throat> but you know it's all mass drop episodes now and, and binge watching mm. so you're you're a big fan girl of um Dawson's Creek but then you didn't there was no other shows or you know like a Harry Potter or something in between that you were also no no that was, that wow was a big, that was like a 10 year I mean there were things that that I love but nothing that sticks out as you know to that extent um nothing that made you feel I used to be normal <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> so then you know what 20 years past 10 years past and you and then we have five lads from the UK change your life yeah totally. <laughs> okay amazing tell me <laughs> tell me when did you first hear about One Direction if you can remember yeah so I think I was vaguely aware of their existence um in early 2012 but hadn't you know clocked them as anything interesting um and I remember that they were here for the Logies in 2012 yes in yes Melbourne. they were and a friend of mine in my studio at the time was going to the red carpet to film them. And I was still at work while he was packing up his gear and we were just chatting that this is what he was going to do. And I was like, oh, cool. You know, that sounds fun. If, like if, if I would, a week later, <laughs> I would have like died to help him on that, <laughs> on that job. Because I was, I was driving along and one thing came on the radio. Oh my and God, the best. <laughs> it was my first time hearing that song. And... I remember listening to it thinking, like, they must think we are stupid. They, it's not a song. They've just sung the same chorus over and over again. Yeah. There's nothing new. But I got to work and the song was in my head. 
I thought, I better just look at the video clip because it's stuck in my head. The video clip is so adorable. Yeah, it's a gorgeous um, clip. I love that one. They're all, they're in suits. It's like, when do you see a pop music video where they're wearing like suits and vests? Um, I just, it was so sweet and I felt like I hadn't seen anything like that since, you know, I don't know, the Beatles are running down the street in the Hard Day's Night. Yeah. Um, it just was, it felt really refreshing and sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, that was kind of the beginning of um this whole this whole process <laughs> I just wanted to know more and like I said I've never been a fan of anything when the internet was such a big part of my life so to suddenly have access to as much material as you could dream of just like you know a constant stream of mm. photos and videos and interviews um especially in, in especially in 2012 to probably like 2014-15 they were doing so many press junkets mm. and uh, you know live shows all year round, global tours. So there was there was so much material yeah, of them. Daily, daily, daily updates. I think, and and what it also was was it was the first time I'd ever seen um, fan art or read fan fiction or just seen fans being hilarious and emotional <laughs> and um because because I hadn't liked a boy band before I was dismissive of the fans as much as I was of of the bands I like mm. so many people who don't get this I thought you know the girls are just screaming crying and that's all it is um but suddenly I was like wow these fans are amazing um and that's when I started to think about making a film about it because I thought yes the band is amazing but hey, have you seen, like, how amazing the fans are? Yeah, and the bands wouldn't be what they are, I think, especially these sorts of bands without their fans. And I think uh, fan culture around bands in particular is so different in in just the last, I would say, you know, five to ten years. You know, every, you know, Taylor Swift fans are called Swifties. And mm. Ariana Grande fans are called like Aries or whatever they call themselves. So everyone has this like group, mass group identity. Mm. And I mm. think, you know, that's been going for a really long time, but not in the way that it is now with how influential fans can be yeah. on on the artists. And, you know, Direction is, I think, really brought that back in a big way by being so influential over the rise of One Direction from yeah. a band that shouldn't have, you know, shouldn't have been selling number one records to... Um, you know, some of the biggest recording artists of all time, surpassing mm. Beatles records, I remember, back in the early well, days. I think we um, interviewed um, a guy at Tumblr. Mm. And, yeah, he was just saying that Tumblr, Tumblr played a huge part in One Direction, um, becoming the huge artists that they, that they were. Because, yeah, they were just a band that was on the X Factor. It could have stopped there. Um, but, yeah, the fans just were so excited and so creative, I think, in the way that they expressed their fandom that um, it spread around the world. Yeah, and I, I was on Tumblr back in those days a lot, especially mm. for One Direction, you know, gifts and little pool quotes and talking to other directioners. Tumblr felt like a really safe place to do that because I feel like Twitter was a, can get quite aggressive. Yeah, yeah. Facebook is like, well, that's who you really are. You can't do that. <laughs> People can't know who I am, <laughs> yeah. but I do this on Facebook. So I better go somewhere completely different. So I'm going to go to Tumblr. Did yeah. you ever do the, um, I feel like it's a 1D sort of tradition induction 
ceremony to go back and watch the X Factor Diaries. Did you get that deep into, you know, watching One Direction content? I haven't watched it all, but I've watched all the, you know, like comp- funniest compilations. Moments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Me too. I, I remember watching those videos just like over and over again and just thinking, wow, these are the most adorable young men I've ever seen. Yeah. And I, I want to get your thoughts on this because for me as a fan, and I think this is true of a lot of fans these days, not all, because, you know, obviously when you go and talk to the girls at the concerts and they're screaming and they're wearing T-shirts say, that say, you know, marry me now or whatever. For me, I never had any like illusions or fantasies about being with the boys in One Direction. Mm. I just really liked them and I wanted them yeah. to do well and I wanted to be near them but there was never yes. any fantasy about relationships did you you know have you come any come across any stories like that when you were making the documentary um well I think the the women featured in the film I wanted to have a range of experiences so yes there's some of them who thought about them romantically um but others of them yeah looked up to them professionally or um there's lots of different kinds of relationships that that fans have mm. yeah with with the guys or with any with anyone that you idolize um i think often yeah it's, it's often you want to be friends or um it's not romantic it's i care about you um i want you to succeed maybe we can collaborate one day <laughs> that, kind of, <laughs> that kind of thing yeah i thought it was really interesting one of the um animated sequences in the film i can't remember specifically who it was for it might have been the, the woman who was really into Take That. Um, was she played out a fantasy in her head of one of the boys chasing her through a forest, but when they met each other in the forest, they didn't kiss or do anything sexual. They just wanted to you know, be side by side. And I think it's really interesting for young girls to sort of play out these scenarios in their heads mm. without being hypersexualized. And because you yeah. get bands like One Direction who are so squeaky clean. Yeah. And I think, yeah, that's sort of something that people don't care to talk about when they're talking about things like boy bands. Well, yeah, she just wanted to um, she wanted to play Chasey with him. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was Alif and Zayn. She was dreaming that not only would she chase him, but he would chase her back. And that was <laughs> her um, fantasy. It's so sweet. And Dara, who is the Take That fan, her fantasy was that um, one of the guys in the band had to pull out for some reason and she could step in and yeah. do all the dances. <laughs> and um, yes, I think it's just about um, being a part of it, not necessarily, yeah, marrying them. And yeah, my, my ultimate fantasy was always to be their tour manager so I could ah, be around yeah. all the time but and be, but be working and be very professional. But Yeah, yeah they need <laughs> you. They need me. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> they need me and only I can fulfill this role impartially and protect them and do all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Did you feel when you sort of became a One Direction fan that you had to hide that from your friends and family? Um, it was very hard to hide because <laughs> I – it really felt like when you first fall in love with someone and you just – want to slip them into conversation all the time. Oh, my God, so true. <laughs> I couldn't. I just, it was relevant to everything. It, it yeah. is not relevant. But um, so, yeah, I found it hard not to talk about it. And um, I was lucky I had a few friends who were, inter- you know, not not fans, but they enjoyed the content that I would share with them and, and we could analyse it. Um, I think my family considered staging an intervention at, you know, early on, because I just <laughs> shut up about it, um, 
which is why making the film was was so good because I I think I read a quote on Tumblr that said you should take what you procrastinate with and turn it into your job mm. and I thought oh I like this is yes I'm I love this stuff but I also think there's something really interesting going on here and if I make a film about this I have an excuse to talk about it absolutely and so let's get to the film then. So you decide to make the film. How long was this process? I know you followed the the One Direction girl for quite some time. How long were you mm. speaking with her? Um, we were filming her over three years. Wow. Yeah, and it, it's such a wonderful time to have captured. She's So you see her at 16, 17 and 18. And I think for everyone, those years are so huge. Um, Very much, yeah. But... We and yeah, and even and then the other women who are older, there's a woman in their tw- in her 20s, one in their 30s, and one in her 60s. Um, everyone you know changes a bit over that time, and mm. I thought it would be really interesting to have a range of ages and a range of experiences. Um, especially because so many people, when you're a fan, especially a teenage fan, people dismiss it and say, you know, it's just a stage, you're just going to grow out of it. Um, you'll love something else. So to to spend time with also women who had held on to their fandom for so long and it was Mm. still so important to them, um, I really wanted to capture that side as well. Yeah. How did you go about finding these women? Did you put a call out? Was it through connections? Because they're all fantastic. They're all so eloquent and charming. Mm. I think so the Australian ones were kind of easy because Rita Walsh and I, the producer, were talking about this film and people were saying, oh, I know Personally, you should you should talk to. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that's how we found Susan and Dara. Um, Leaf, who's the One Direction fan, I was at the time watching a lot of um, reaction videos on YouTube, <laughs> yeah. which you know where people would react to a, an interview or a video clip or whatever. And hers hers stood out so much because she. So most reaction videos, people film themselves. Um, so it is kind of performative but Mm. hers her friends had secretly filmed her watching the concert dvd Mm. and we only include a very short clip from it in the film and that's where the title i used to be normal came from but it's a 10 minute video of just the widest range of emotions um captured (laughs) it's so raw it's so beautiful it's so crazy um and I just loved it. And I happened to be going to that concert, the concert that she was going to. Oh, really? Um, I was going to New York for my cousin's wedding in 2013. And in 2012, when I loved One Direction, I, they were performing a week after the wedding. So I booked tickets. Oh, so naturally, the, of, course. of course. Of course. <laughs> then my cousins cancelled their wedding. Oh, my so, gosh my sister was coming with me to the wedding. We had to decide if it was worth flying all the way to New York to see one direction. Um, and we did. That and is the best amazing. story I've ever, that's, you're a fan. You cannot be yeah. denied. That's so brilliant. And I yeah, wish so I saw that. That's when them. I met Elise for the first time, right. um, interviewed her and, and went to the concert. Wow. Um, and Sadia, who's the Backstreet Boys fan, I found her online as well, um, she had written an article about going on the Backstreet Boys cruise. Yes, I read the article. Um, uh, yeah, and I just loved. Well, one, I'd never heard of the cruises, and that kind of blew my mind. But also that her tone, um, I could just tell that she was so insightful and so funny, and and kind of struggling with 
the feelings of, of what, you know, the pros and cons of being a fan, you know, 20 years later um, and reached out to her and she, she was very excited. Yeah, I, I loved her in the film. I thought I connected with her a lot mm. and I I had never heard of the cruises either and watching I was watching the film with two of my close friends who were also fandom sort of people and they'd seen it multiple times and I just started freaking out. I was like, what? What do you mean? That's They're right there. The Backstreet Boys are right there. I can't believe it. And then I was going on, you know, if One Direction did this, they'd get eaten alive. There's no way they could ever do this. Their fans are too ravenous like literally physically ravenous I think they would get mm. hurt like it just it, it blew my mind that they actually do that and that people yeah. go on those cruises and then I thought it was really interesting that that experience left her feeling not less attached but definitely questioning that attachment mm. it's kind of too intimate in a way oh absolutely sometimes being a fan you want that distance um when they're real people they lose their magic a bit I think I think so. And I think the, the tricky thing when you're a fan of a real person, you know, it's, it's, very, it's a very different situation when you're a fan of, if you're a Harry Potter fangirl or fandom person or a Twilight person. I was, I was a huge Twilight person as well as a teenager. But when it's a real person, I think you feel a sense of ownership or, yeah. or um, entitlement to those people. Like they owe you something almost. Yeah. Or definitely if you're a hardcore fan, that's where those feelings tend to lead towards. And then if you go and indulge in that feeling by, you know, spending a week on a boat with them, I don't know. Like how does that affect you? Yeah. You, you know, I think that's really a strange experience. So I thought it was really interesting that she um, did that. And then I read the article. It's a really great piece. I'll, I'll put a link to it actually in, in the description here if people want to see that um, about how she ended up there and ended up doing that. I think the problem is you can never get the level of intimacy that, you want you know you've you've loved them to this huge extent you know so much about them um when you meet them you want to be able to talk as friends Mm. but you're just you know one of billions you never get that that moment um so it's kind of better to not for me I think it's better not to see it so I met Harry Connick Jr when I was what was you know like 14 or something I went Mm. to a um signing brushes maybe um and you know you've built up I was 14 and he was I don't know in his 30s or whatever he was but still you have this (laughs) fantasy that you're going to have this connection and you know went up to have my cd signed and he asked my name and he said oh my grandmother's called that too like you have we had a nice interaction but I remember coming off the stage being like that was it you know, yeah. I, you know, there were so many things I wanted to talk about and I came home and I took my posters down. I was like, no, that's not mm. that's not how it was supposed to go. And that kind of showed me that, yeah, some things are better, um, just better in your mind. I definitely used to play out a fantasy in my head of, you know, I was – all I listened to was the Beatles from age like 8 to 16. Like mm. basically nothing else. I was a full devotee and, you know, my fantasies were about meeting George Harrison and then yeah. I found out he was dead and that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. And then I genuinely mourned him. Like I mourned mm. his loss, even though it had happened 20 years mm. ago. And then I used to fantasize about meeting Paul McCartney, which I, I still do, to be frank. You know, I think about what I would say and how could I convey to him just how much it all meant to me and, um, mm. you know, how much he means to me and all that sort of thing. And then every time I played out in my head, I think it's never going to, I'm never going to get what I want from that. Like you said, yeah. like, what's he going to, he can't understand what it was for me or he's been, He's been told that feeling a yeah, hundred thousand exactly. times in his mm-hmm. life. And it's almost like, well, I might as well just keep it to myself in a way. 
Yeah, and, you don't want you don't want all those good feelings to disappear. Yeah, exactly. You don't want to lose the magic you feel when you think about those times in your life when you were that happy. Mm. Which is how happy the Beatles and One Direction would yeah. make still make me feel. Yeah. Oh, it's so young girls that just have passionate minds, don't we? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why I can see why why you've got a fan fiction podcast because yeah, fan fiction fan fiction is just such a beautiful place to have those imagined interactions um, where they want to know you as much as you you want to know them. Um, yeah. So you know, speaking which of, won't happen in real life. Yeah. Speaking of fan fiction, so you mentioned right at the top end that you you did read some fan fiction mm, one direction yeah. fan so what sort of if you don't mind disclosing uh, what sort of fan fiction did you used to read um i think i loved ones that kind of stepped away from them as real people mm, a bit that, mm-hmm. that just took them as a starting point i remember i loved there was a genre of like um styles triplets oh do you, do you remember or like the styles and the styles twins yeah. So there was like Harry, Edward, and I don't know who the other one would have been. But just, yeah, that they were like three identical twins this, and your interactions yeah. with them. This sounds vaguely um, familiar. I I just was blown away with like the creativity and the writing. And, and I loved Larry Stylins and um, Yes, where the money is. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, I loved... Um, you know, I love Harry the most, so I loved – there was a genre of nerdy Harry. Yeah, we love nerdy <laughs> Harry. We love that. Yeah, I love – and, you know, because in real life – this is what's the magic about boy bands as well is that the boys in the band, you know, are so attractive and talented, but then they sing songs where they're insecure or, you know, yeah. having trouble with love and all this stuff, which, you know, isn't – I'm sure isn't what actually happens, but that's what makes it such a winning – formula they're um they're they're finding things hard so yeah that's why i think nerdy harry is just so cute because you could never i doubt harry was you know struggling making friends at school and but nerdy harry you know had no friends and um, (laughs) needed louis to cheer him up of course (laughs) homework for company yeah i also i was a very hardcore larry stylens and shipper and mm. I did used to write Larry fan fiction as well on oh, Tumblr, cool. on Tumblr, like very yeah. um, authentic <laughs> experience, um, which I actually dug up and read before we did this interview, just because I wanted to remember some of yeah. it. Some of it's not bad. I'm like, mm, this mm. is all right. Like I would maybe repost this on an anonymous account somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I think that the Larry Stylens and thing is such a contentious part of the yeah. One Direction fandom. Yeah. Did you ever experience any? Do you have any negative fandom experiences? Like, you um, know, maybe things that you're like, oh, that was someone said something mean to me or I didn't, that didn't make uh, me feel good. Not, or... No, not personally. I, I do see the – I did feel conflicted being a Larry shipper mm. because even though I, I, I genuinely think it was real in the beginning, I can see that it did become the damaging – that we'll never know exactly what happens till they do, I don't know, a special in 20 years. Yeah, the tell But it did book. seem like the fans took it too far and I'm sure that affected whatever their relationship was. Um, yeah, I'm inclined to and agree. And that's a bit sad to think about that. And, and still their interactions, um, you know, they have to be careful with their interactions and that's really sad, especially if you do believe that it was a really special relationship or is a special relationship for them. 
Yeah, um, I think it can't be denied that they did have a, a very special relationship, if if nothing else, at the start of One Direction. Their clear affection and intimacy, you know, as even as friends, they obviously were mm. very, very close. So, yeah, still does, you know, make you a bit sad to see that they don't interact much these days or, mm. you know, maybe feel they can't do that. So, yeah, I'm sort of in agreement there. But it's very interesting, I think. And I think it sort of harks back to that um, thing we were talking about earlier where these girls don't need to be romantically involved with the guys, but yeah. they want them to date each other. Yeah. Which yeah. is I a whole other that. phenomenon. Yeah, and it makes sense that you that if I think for a lot of younger girls that the idea if they're not going to be with you, um, better that they be with each other. Yes, because then you know it's two people you love together. Yes, um, exactly. But yeah, I think that was the thing that surprised me too. And I, because it, it they they were my first boy band. I was thinking, you know, was there was there Backstreet Boys fandom? Was there New Kids on the Block fandom? Um, and I was able to find, you know, some really early examples and it was the same thing. It was like all five Backstreet Boys hooking up or, you know, yeah. there's even a lot of McLennan um, yeah. fan fiction now. And, <laughs> yeah. um, so it's nothing new. Um, I have this little theory that I've always played with that um, young girls are interested in, in queer pairings, particularly queer male pairings, because it's not limited to boy bands. It's there's a lot of queer couples or pairings and ships in, in Harry Potter and Game of Thrones and Lord of the Rings and in any fandom, really, you'll often find huge um, dedicated swarms of young girls who want to see two men end up together. Mm. And it's I have this idea that it maybe has to do with, especially the more sexually explicit content, that it's a safe way for young girls to think about sex in a way that because there's no women involved, because they're not involved, it doesn't need, it's not threatening yeah. because it's two men. So therefore I am just observing. And yeah. the reason it can't be a woman is because then I would be jealous because that then there's a woman <laughs> yeah. in my place. So if it's two and men, the, you know, it's a bit yeah, different. Yeah. And that, and that it allows men to be um, gentle and yeah. um, sensitive. And, you know, there's, there's, yeah, you can play with the dynamic in a way that's not an obvious hetero expectations of what a man and a woman is in a relationship yeah and I, I i would love to see someone write like a very nice complicated essay about that because i think it's such a big phenomenon there's definitely something to explore there with teenage girls being into queer male pairings mm. that i think it explored. goes back really i think there's even like batman and robin it was women were writing like batman and robin fan fiction i mean that makes sense um, mm. Yeah, There's, it, yeah, it goes back really far. I mean, probably even further. Who even knows Shakespeare? <laughs> oh yeah, sure. I mean, Shakespeare definitely. I think there's queer undertones in many of his mm. works. Um, what was I going to ask? Uh, do, 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 do. Oh yeah, is there anything that you've done? You know, these girls in the film who you know did the. Backstreet Boys newsletter or all the clippings on the wall. So I was wondering if there is like a identifiable, like crazy thing you've done for a fandom. Maybe Dawson's Creek or One Direction. Oh, well, I think making the, um, the Dawson's Creek homage um, <laughs> shot for shot remake of the opening sequence with lookalikes is pretty dedicated. Um, <laughs> Did that influence and- you? Do you think, you know, you've chosen the career path to be a filmmaker? Do you think Dawson's Creek had an influence on that? Well, I was already, um, it came out in my first year of studying film. Um, right. 
so you know Dawson and I we were on a similar path (laughs) (laughs) naturally not that I lied yeah I was team Pacey um not Dawson anyway (laughs) um I don't know if I mean I think making the film in a way is an extreme (laughs) an extreme way of being a fan because it meant I could justify you know so One Direction five times and each each ticket was tax deductible because it was for my work Oh my God, you're living the dream. You are living the dream. <laughs> and, you know, could, could collect merchandise and it was always, you know, we could use it as a prop in the film. Um, and it was, you know, I, I love the film and I'm very proud of it, but also it was a it was a very personal journey for me trying to understand my own fandom and what it meant for me. It was just, mm. you know, a, a kind of public way of yeah. doing it. And when we started making the film, the first maybe year of it, I think I was still a bit in denial of, um, you know, what I was feeling and why. And I thought I have to, I have to make sense of this. So, so we were interviewing psychologists and neurologists and songwriters because I was like, I know I'm being taken advantage of. Um, <laughs> there's something they're doing with these hooks in the chorus and the, what they're making them wear. I've got to figure it out. And so, yeah, we interviewed really interesting people alongside also interviewing the fans and, um, once we sat down and looked at that first kind of round of footage, I realized it's actually, you know, what's interesting are the fans. Um, and, and I was in a really good place of like, I'm actually really lucky to have found something that makes me feel this good. I don't need to um, analyze it. Um, mm. I just need to enjoy it. Mm. I think that there's um, a bit of shame that comes with liking something so much, mm. especially on teenage girls. Yeah when teenage girls like something it's you know less than silly mm, not mm. and women as well yeah things that women absolutely like. women yeah, so yeah. even worse if you're a teenage girl but yeah anything women like very exactly. easily dismissed we talked a lot with people um about the similarities between football and boy band fandom um <laughs> the the ownership the football fans feel over their teams are like I always found it weird when they'd say, oh, we didn't, we won this week or, oh, we had a bad match. It's like, no, you didn't, you didn't do anything. Yeah, you did nothing. <laughs> they feel this ownership and, um, you know, you can cover your walls with sports posters or, you know, wear a T-shirt of your favourite team or whatever. I always, you know, you see the on the train on Monday morning, people wearing the scarves of their team if they've won and no one, like, says anything about that. It's You can be very proud and public mm. about um, loving your football team yeah and i think with a boy band and yeah you're shamed what a football fan might say back to you is then well what one direction don't do anything hard yeah a football team is training and being athletes and it's like you don't think what they do is hard yeah you don't think they're working hard like that's i would never do what they do it's yeah an impossible task to be sexy and innocent and sing and dance and be turned you know be switched on as long as they have to be switched on and perform yeah, yeah. they work incredibly hard for for what they do mm-hmm. so i think that's the tension area of tension and you know as a very big twilight fan i think i think the first twilight film is a great piece of indie cinema for, personally mm-hmm. it's a very well executed film but of course that doesn't matter to a, a film student who's going to mock the film because it's vampires and kissing and whatever and yeah, all that yeah. sort of silly stuff so I think that was part of my reason to even do this podcast was to I, I grew up very embarrassed and ashamed about writing fan fiction and being so in, in, invested in fandoms um, which only worsened with discovering One Direction mm-hmm. and then it, did, it wasn't until I was in university and surrounded by you know people who were a little bit smarter than that and then 
I felt very confident about all of those experiences, mm, but it yeah, took a really yeah. long time. And I think that's why your film is so great because if I was a, if I was in my prime One Direction phase when I was 17 and I saw I used to be normal, I would feel so much more better about the entire thing. Mm, that's good to hear. Yeah, I'm definitely... Yeah, I didn't want to um, just show... When I first was pitching the film to people, they would say, how can there be a film that you're going to have an hour and a half of, like, crying and screaming? That's not a film. And, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to show that there's so much more to being a fan than, yes, you do cry and scream a bit, but there's so much more that's going on um, in the life of a fan. Yeah, and I think that's really shown well through... Is it Elise's story? Um, mm. I just... I honestly felt like a heavy pit in my gut when, whenever she was on screen because I identified with her so much in that age, when I was that age of, you know, wanting that big impossible dream and not being supported and thinking about One Direction. And that sort of whole mix of her journey made me sad in a happy way, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. And I, I've left the film really hoping that she got to, you know, pursue something that made her happy do you still Mm. hear from her or speak with her yeah 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 I do um she she's she's doing well she's studying medicine which isn't music but it is something she's passionate about um and I now that I'm a parent I'm conflicted of like if my child wanted to be a musician would I say yeah, you know, mm. go for it. Or what about mm, what's a more practical? What's a more practical? Yeah, you know, which is a bit like, you know, all parents are like that. You want your children to be okay. But I world. think that's why so, her, her her story made me feel a bit sad. Was that I had the dream that she had of you know being a rock star, but I became term to, I came to terms with that it wasn't going to happen when I was thirteen, not when I was mm. eighteen, and yeah. I felt like. I felt sorry for her. It sounds bad, but I felt sorry for her that it was taking her so long to yeah. to realize, which is yeah. you know not yeah. a nice thing to say. But you know, like that. There's a, the innocence of it. Yeah, like her um, naivety just really broke my heart because you know yeah. I played guitar as well and I had the big. I wanted to be a touring musician and um, do. I wanted to do all of that when I was twelve. And, you know, you. Mm. I think everyone has that big you know dream, and then they yeah they find their new path through it and definitely there are some people who do pursue those those goals um i have lots of my friends who are full-time musicians and artists and you know they love what they do but um you know most people aren't going to do that thing you think when you're going to do when you're 15 and the fact that she hadn't been able to let go by the time she was 18 i yeah definitely felt very sorry for her but um I think there could be a parallel universe where she she does it because she yeah. she definitely had some skills and she was she was being entrepreneurial. She made a YouTube channel and she was she was promoting herself and um, you know maybe there's a world where it could have all happened in some way. But yeah, but yeah, she kind of didn't get that opportunity. Yeah. And I mean that's that's you life. need people to believe in you. That's a that's a big part of it. Oh, absolutely. There's there's so many circumstances that have to come together to. Uh, make your dreams come true to, to be cliche but yeah. I, I think it's important as well to show in a way to show young girls that there's the dream and then there's also your life and you have to do things that are going to be good for you mm. and sometimes that means pursuing other avenues which is you know 
I went through that whole journey as a young teenager and then moving into adulthood. And I work in the film industry as well, but in a very different capacity to what I saw myself doing five years ago, yeah. you know, because yeah. the film industry in Australia is what it is, right? <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's not a, an avenue. <laughs> it's not glamorous. It's, really. not a, <laughs> it's not a land of riches. <laughs> so yeah. You take what you can get and you make it work and you make your money and stuff. So, but um, yeah, I just loved watching her journey and really connected with her. It, it, it made me just want to fall in love with One Direction all over again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Take me back to a more innocent time. Maybe something else will, will come along for you. Whenever yeah. I meet people who are like, oh, I don't like boy bands or I've never felt that way about anything before, I'm always like, your time might come. That yeah. still might be the thing. You just haven't found it yet. I I think that's a really nice thought. I, I fall in love with a new thing every six months. So mm. I'm very frivolous in that way. And I that's why I thought um, the, the, the lady who was in love with the Backstreet Boys really blew my mind because I can't imagine liking something for that long. <laughs> like her time was very long, whereas I was sort of, I settled, I made my peace with One Direction maybe three years ago and sort of moved on. Mm-hmm. And then that was, then it was The Walking Dead and then it was uh, Captain America and then it was the next thing and the next thing. And I, I move on very fast from things that What's I your like. Current? What's the current? obsession harry potter i've gone back to harry potter ah, which is why i've been okay. using harry potter as a reference <laughs> throughout <laughs> like you said you bring you look for any excuse to bring up the thing that you're yeah, into yeah. is there anything you're Fun. obsessed with at the moment um no i don't really have time because i've got a you, a, you have a, a child. child i'm obsessed <laughs> with a child <laughs> <laughs> very very much fair enough it's boring but no, yeah. not boring. Well, i mean no. bluey watching a lot of bluey we're obsessed with bluey yeah but. we got to start a bluey fandom yeah, <laughs> right. Bluey fan fiction. Bluey is just the most <laughs> fan. It's just a fantastic show. I think Australia is making at the moment. It just definitely it warms yeah. my heart. It makes me cry. I just absolutely love oh, me Bluey. Too. Yeah, it's so beautifully done and lovely messages and yeah. Um, even just I love that they're both the two main characters are girls. Yeah, um, they're so gorgeous. I just think it's nice to have more more female voices on TV, whatever age they are, whatever species. Even if they're dogs, they're still, yeah, it's still really important. Well, Jess, I think I'm out of questions for you. I've just loved chatting to you about your wonderful film and your experiences with fandom. Thank you so much. I love talking about it too. I know. It's such a fun thing to talk about. I'm sure if we really got into the weeds of One Direction, we probably wouldn't be able to stop chatting. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you again for your time. Um, If anyone listening to this wants to see I Used to Be Normal, um, they can look it up. It's available on YouTube, Amazon, a whole bunch of different platforms. So if you just Google I Used to Be Normal, a boy band fangirl story, you can find it in your country. Absolutely recommend watching the film. It's fantastic. Thanks again, Jess. Thank you. One Shot is made with support from Balloon Tree Productions. The theme song is Dearest Friend by Hem. You can follow me on Twitter at OneShotPod and subscribe to One Shot on Apple, Spotify, Acast or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>